Welcome to the Plain Sight podcast hosted by Invisible. Invisible Technologies is a fascinating company. Uh, we essentially make complex business problems disappear. So we partner with you. We figure out what your operations are. We figure out what your processes are. We figure out what your team doesn't like to do. And we basically do that better, faster, cheaper. Uh, but this isn't specifically about what we do. It's also the philosophy behind why we do it. So this show really gets into what makes Invisible tick. Uh, who are the key players at Invisible? Who are the key players outside of Invisible who enjoy our work? Um, what are all the things that are going on inside of Invisible? What a podcast does, it allows you to find out things that you normally wouldn't be able to find out. So it's like a fireside chat that's basically decentralized and anybody can listen to it at all times. So we really invite you to uh, listen and subscribe if you really like these episodes. And as always, you can reach out to anybody on the Invisible team. Uh, our website is invisible.co uh, and we're happy to have you here. Welcome to the Plainsight Podcast. My guest today is Sam Mata. He is the Director of Operations at Invisible Technologies and welcome to the show. Hi, Stuart. Very excited to be here. So what is operations? Um, operations. What is operations? I think there are uh, many ways to describe it, but um, a way to describe it that I think is relevant uh, to what we're doing is um, operations is um, the group of systems that allow us to process work, to process um, the set of instructions or the set of projects that have been delegated to us um, in a way that is efficient and effective to meet the client's needs. Hmm. Um, and there are many components to that, right? And there are components on, on people that are actually enabling that operations to be successful. And there's a huge component of technology as well playing into, into that operations piece. So those are two key components that we are uh, working on a daily basis with. And from my understanding, Invisible describes itself as an operations innovations company, which is super interesting because not only do they embed inside of these teams, and I would love to understand later on, like to go deep dive into how Invisible came up with that and how they started to do just for my own learning, because I'm trying to do something somewhat similar with Cosmos is like, how do you actually embed inside of a team to understand their work better than that than they do? And so my understanding is you got to embed inside of an operation teams and you figure out what processes that aren't doing that well. And then you figure out how to do them better, faster and cheaper in your own team. And that must put a huge influence or a huge demand on Invisible to be good at operations. Because if you guys are the operations innovation company, it means that you need to be better than everybody else at operations. Is that accurate? Yeah, exactly. I mean, um, I think that uh, commonly people have um, a framework of like what a traditional BPO looks like, right? Where there is like an execution of a process that is very mechanical and repetitive, and and that is it, right? It is there's there's limitation um, into into what can be done. Uh, Invisible proposes, as you mentioned, um, uh, a strategic partnership with our clients, uh, and the strategy is that um, we not only execute what they need to be executed. And sometimes that is the initial first step, get their burden um, immediately resolved and get things off their plates. But the ultimate goal is to um, learn and embed ourselves into these companies' um, goals, right? So it's the goal. Like we, you will hear us ask 
why do you need this? What is this feeding in your in your internal processes? Um, there are times where we have actually flown and visited them and seen their offices, in fact, like not always, right, depending on the relationship, but like that's what we try to do. Um, and in successful relationships, we become reference points for many parts of those key components of their operations. Um, and uh, the more that we learn, the more that we know how to uh, plug into these clients' goals, the better we are at optimizing these processes and make them better, faster, cheaper, like you mentioned. Very cool. Okay, so you essentially gain a lot of context. And this is so interesting for me at, at Cosmos to figure out how how do you actually get the co context on these companies? You mentioned flying to those businesses, but I imagine a lot of it's remote. And I guess we could go back up all the way to the, when did you first join Invisible? Um, I joined Invisible in 2018. Um, yeah. And yes, um, majority, big majority is remote, right? I mentioned flying just to illustrate how much we really want to plug in, right? And many times, actually, the remote environment is 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 much more um, optimized to get deep into these processes, right? Um, how do we do it? Um, in simple terms, just to keep it uh, at a level that we can um, go deeper from, um, we we do discovery calls, we do discovery sessions, um, um, and we ask our clients to demo what they currently do. If they have that uh, that possibility, um, so it can be something as simple like, "Hey, this is what I'm doing. This is the process I'm following." Um, to more complex demos where this is the process, but these are the documentations and these are the components that go into, into the execution. Um, and um, from the sales pipeline, from the sales process, we try to, to get to a level of understanding that ensures success from the pilot and from the initial stages. And that starts with understanding those processes deeply. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's okay to ask this question, but is the is this is that sales discovery? Um, is it a paid discovery? Uh, or and then also at what point do you as an operations person come into the conversation? Very good question. Um, um we we generally do um paid um pilots and paid engagements um because we really um, do these when we have value that like we have a short value at hand. Um, there are cases where do we do we can do a proof of concept, something very small to just just prove something. But in general, um, a pilot or an initial engagement is related to actual value that the client will be able to use. Mm -hmm. um, when we plug in into into the process uh, depends on on things like the complexity of the account or if it's something that we have done many times that we know that we could out of the box provide a solution for. Uh, in those cases, then the operations team plugs in further down this, the, the process. Uh, but in cases where there needs to be discovery on the feasibility of launching a process, for example, um, then we can get a call from the sales team and we can join um, and support them to actually um, qualify those opportunities. Yeah, interesting. And this feels different than, you know, like we're kind of playing in this world where there are a bunch of SaaS products. And I was talking about this on the episode with Scott is that he was in in in, in SaaS products and SaaS is like super defined and they do offer services, uh, but in this really, really prescribed way. Uh, and I think in, in, Invisible does something very, very unique, which is says like, well, we can do a lot of different things for you. And so we'll bring in the sales, we'll go through this discovery process, and then we'll bring in you guys, the operations, to understand whether we can actually do this really well. And it, and can you color that more in to, to talk about how you break it down, how you take the complexity of the world and then actually offer value in this way that 
everyone else is like, no, that's way too complicated. I don't want to get put it, get into that. Um, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, th- I think, I think um, we, we try to um, segment our opportunities into, into buckets that um, give us a framework that we can work with um, from the sales process to the operating process. So, so we have clients, for example, in the AI space um, and generally like the opportunities that you will get in that space are related to things that we have done in the past or things that we're very interested in in, in exploring as an offering in the future and, and therefore um, something that we can really plug into. And there are others that are more like data focused um, and uh, there are other that are more services focused, for example. So we do have larger buckets into which we segment um, our opportunities. Um, and, um, and an effort that we do is to try to util- utilize existing technology that we can recycle and plug in into these processes um, because of many reasons, right? Including these are processes that have been tested, that we have unit economics for, that we have pricing, that we have performance data for. Um, and our platform allows us to be pretty modular, right? We don't have to use the entirety of a process for a new client. We can use some segments of some things that we have done um, for other prospects or other clients and build a solution that looks custom at the end, but has some Mm -hmm. internal parts that have already been validated in the past and that we can use as benchmarks. That's super exciting. That brings the 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 magician's wand, basically, the the workplace, uh, the the product that's being built. How has that evolution worked? Uh, I was a customer in 2018. I don't, maybe you even remember, I don't know if you remember my particular uh, uh, invisible ask. I uh, asked invisible, I was on my way to France and I had come up with this uh, idea for a workshop, a yoga workshop where I taught French yoga teachers how to teach yoga in English. um, And so that they could enter the remote world and make more money teaching English yoga. And so I had invisible scrape a bunch of emails from all the yoga studios in France and send out this email offering it. And I got, I got three leads and then one converted into an actual workshop in Montpellier, France, France. And so I traveled all the way down to Montpellier, France, uh, and I gave this workshop and it was all made possible by invisible. And I was like, Oh, wow, they actually did this thing. I had this idea and you guys actually turned it into something real. Um, and, and it was, and that's what got me really interested in invisible. And now I'm, now I'm in the invisible sphere, uh, and actually doing something that, like Cosmos, this fundamental problem that Cosmos is trying to solve is actually really similar to the operations problem that Invisible has already solved. Um, and so now I'm here, now I'm seeing it. Uh, and you've seen that whole evolution from when we first worked. What has it been like? And what were like the big wins? And maybe if you feel comfortable sharing, what were the big losses? What were the big challenges? Like how yeah. did that work? If you, if you rewind to the early stages of, of Invisible, um, you will see um, you will see a very similar vision that we have right now, but but with much less infrastructure. So you'll see like you'll hear you'll still hear the terms of like um, assembly line and processes and reutilization of resources or things that we've built, and and you'll hear many of the similar things that we are still, that we are um, working with today, but more like in an idealistic state and things like we 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 were wishing that would would, would be true, and the reality was more of a um, of a of an actual workshop where people would actually execute tasks, right? So if you go back to your to your case when you were a client, um, that was probably done um, with some tools. We wouldn't scrape manually um, those 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 um, websites or those emails, but there were there was there was a lot of involvement of human labor, um, which allowed us to learn what we know today of how to build a process, right? So as we move forward into into our evolution, those processes are done today 
by um, by technology that we have been building throughout time, right? And it could it could have um, uh, components of RPA, it could have uh, components of AI, it could even have components of um, tools that we have access to um, uh, on an integration basis or things like that, and are much more efficient to to be executed. In some other cases, we have learned that those processes are not the best processes and we're not optimized to do. And we have therefore stopped either offering them or deprioritize them, right? So if you go back, you, you'll you remember a lot of like virtual assistant services, which now has been spun up into a completely different unit that's much more optimized for executive, executive support versus trying to operationalize that in a process basis. Mm, that's really interesting. What are some of the challenges? You mentioned some challenges like custom uh, Cosmos was having. Like, do you want to share a few of those and talk a little bit about them? Yeah, I would love to. That is, and it's really interesting. So basically, uh, Cosmos is knowledge management as a service. Um, so generally, knowledge management goes from this nice to have to a painkiller at about 150 people, which is Dunbar's number. Uh, that's where we we coordination costs go way way up, and I'm sure you've seen this at Invisible. Um, uh, and this is it's been so interesting to learn this problem at Invisible, uh, uh, which is just like once you have a whole bunch of people, documentation becomes so important, and it also becomes much harder to do. Um, and so, so I've been doing some of these things for Invisible. It's been very challenging to do it in Invisible. Invisible is a very fast move, moving pace, but I've been embedded inside of inside of Invisible. So I've I've have an email, I have access to all the notion, I have all this stuff where I can go research all the, and so now we're branching out, we're trying to find our first, uh, our second customer after Invisible. Uh, and so as, as I'm planning it ahead and I'm thinking through how to actually do this, uh, it's gonna be really interesting to try to get that context for the company that we try to work with um, in, a, in a way that I won't have that same level of degree. And, and so what I said- You're not gonna be able to be embedded into that other company like you are here. Yeah, exactly. That makes yeah, sense. And, and, and I, but how can I recreate that? And actually the, the way that I've thought about recreating it is having phase one, phase two, and phase three. And phase one uh, is actually that discovery process that you're talking about. But I feel like the discovery process is actually gonna be longer with Cosmos um, because we're dealing with knowledge and knowledge is so abstract and it deals with so many, so we, the level of context we need, and this may be a mistaken assumption, I believe the level of context that we need is going to be vast. And so what I want to want to start with is actually to offer these customers a fully branded podcast. Uh, and also at the end of this discovery, some sort of physical or virtual map to their organization that maps out something that is currently not mapped. Uh, and so to go back to that podcast, that's the discovery where we do where it's it's it can be used for marketing if the company's a a uh, sort of uh, transparent organization or it can be a uh, internal podcast like uh, um, there's a, somebody on the invisible team who's running an internal podcast so they can be more open about what things are going and share things. But really what it is, is a knowledge management context, discovering like, let me map this the high level of this organization and turn that into a physical map. Then, uh, so then, then that will give us the understanding of like, is this a company that we can actually move to phase two with? And phase two is where we choose one team, like the finance team at Invisible, where we've been doing a lot of work, and we fully, not just at a high level, but at a very, very deep level, understand that comp, understand that team, document all the all the things. And I've actually come up with an innovation recently: is is I can take all these recorded calls that Invisible does. 
and turn them into documentation using ChatGPT as long as it's not private. There's a big security hole there, um, but eventually we'll have we'll have technolo technologies that can can do that safely. Um, and so uh, do digital therapy sessions where if if there's not something not documented, where we can actually in a conversation like this document it. Um, and then build out the map of that one specific team and then go team by team by team through the whole organization. And then at the end, that's the final piece of where we came up with this whole idea of Cosmos is that give us access to your company and we'll organize all your folders, files and software systems um, uh, uh, automatically without you having to think about it, basically. But getting to that point requires so much context. I mean, I, I, we, we had an interaction like uh, a, a few months ago of like, I, I, the wanting to build lists of all the tools for you guys and everything like that, that was like, how do I actually understand what are all the tools? Now I would, now I think I know how I would do it, but at the time I didn't know how to do it. And that was one of my, my, uh, my, my kind of like, um, regrets so far as not being able to do that for you guys. Yeah. But, uh, um, but yeah, what do you think of that idea? And like, what, how would I, you I, I like the idea. I think while you were, you were describing that, I, I think one of the challenges that, that you guys are facing is like, like people don't know what's not documented and what they don't know. Like people don't like it's difficult to know what is like inside people's brains um, and what's like documented or maybe even what, what it should be documented. And maybe if they think something's documented. Right. And it's not updated, for example. So the idea of those podcasts and those conversations, I think, is is very valuable. Um, have you thought about any cultural alignment strategy? Like, I think that a big piece of like knowledge management is probably like a culture thing um, that needs to be worked on as an organization. Is that something you guys will also be targeting? Yeah, that's really interesting. Uh, so part of the podcast is the cultural thing. And this this brings to mind the Plain Sight podcast, this one that we're doing in a very meta way. It's like we're talking about it now. So like the the it I, I started with the Plain Sight podcast of in, interviewing all of our advisors in Plain Sight and and kind of understanding Invisible from the outside and doing kind of what I've done with my, my personal podcast, just like having interesting conversations. And then I started interviewing people at the company and I realized, whoa, what am I doing? Like, like this podcast is actually a really, really great way for me to understand this company. And like, and, and, and it is, so there's that. And then I realized all the agents want to listen to things like this as well. Like they're all, they're all really interested in people. And so there is a cultural element and that, that I feel like is more of an evangelism because culture is really hard to, to change. And, and one thing I have noticed about Invisible and the reason why I think the knowledge I'm so glad that I started with invisible is that although invisible is a chaotic place and, and I don't mean this in a bad way. I actually like, I like they, they you guys can mold chaos into this beautiful thing that offers so much value. Uh, and uh, there is a huge knowledge management component to it. Like everybody gets the, the necessity of knowledge management, even if, if yes. people are contrarian and in, in their silos and stuff like that, everybody understands that breaking part. And it's been so interesting to watch that. But I think culture is a, a tricky thing. So I don't have a very good answer, except the podcast itself that I offer these companies can be a sort of cultural mechanism. Yeah, the evangelism that you mentioned, I think it's it's it covers a lot of like the awareness piece, right? And um, and like you mentioned, like people are really like people are aware uh from from a high-level perspective that they need this, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and like the second or third um order on that is just like how and and you get a lot of people on board to help you with your project. Yep, that's yep. great. Uh, and uh, there's something interesting that came from that, but I can't remember what it was. 
So knowing, and so, uh, so I'm, you know, I'm now doing this. Uh, uh, thank you for turning it back on me because it's such an awesome, awesome opportunity to get, because I I've been thinking of like how, how you guys did it. And like, I want to understand how you did it. Can you talk in 2018 and 2019, what were the, cause you guys probably weren't super known. Um, what were the, how did you guys figure that problem out to get to you to where you got to in 2020 and then 2021? Um, well, I think it's, it's a very broad question. You'll probably get different answers, but from my perspective in operation, I think, I think one of the key pieces was, um, we started to see that, um, there are processes, um, and, and use, use cases, right. There are so much more efficient to run than others. Um, and we literally had conversations saying, Hey, Look at this client. Like this is the monthly revenue, and this is the amount of of effort that we're putting in overhead, and this is the amount of value that we're giving them, right? So it's just like a lot of value for the client. Client's very happy with what we're doing. Um, overhead very reasonable. Um, technology enablement is is straightforward and 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 goes up and to the right. Um, and and the and the size of the account is 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 important. So there were like a few of those um, that were like, oh, I think we we really have something here to continue to optimize for, um, and and we started to build around those cases, right? Um, and as, as as I mentioned, like you you then have the other ones that are like less optimized. Um, clients would come to you and say, you know what, I probably get the same value from someone that I have inside the office. And that makes total yeah, sense, right? Yeah, you probably yeah. should go for that. Uh, let's explore something else that we can do for you. And hey, this is something we do better. And then we just like plug in, into those. So we tried to do some type of optimization into the types of processes that we were doing. And that helped us like identify what good use cases look like. Hmm. Okay, let's, let's take the conversation into AI because I, I imagine you have some interesting insight into this question because all of a sudden, uh, um, all of a sudden, Invisible turned into the, I would say, the premier AI trainer that focuses on on solving the really challenging human problems associated with training these models. Um, and it sort of happened like in a, in a very crazy way. Um, and so, and now we're really going with that and it's, and it's turning into a big business. Uh, what, what's your overall take broad question? What's your overall take on AI? Where are we headed in this AI universe and what does it feel like to be a part of it? Um, I, I have, I have a fascination for what's happening in AI. That's, it's very particular. Um, and I've tried to get people around me and my family and my friends to be as excited about it as I am. And, not all of, not everybody gets it, right? And I'm like, look at this. Like my word is fascinating. It's like, this is fascinating. Like um, I think that there is like a notion of like, like people that are not very close to what's happening. Um, just think this is like another kind of, um, okay, yeah, you talked to Siri. You've talked to Siri for, for a long time. Uh, okay, you have had your Google Assistant for a long time. Uh, and what else? Tell me something that this can do, right? Um, but I can I can see I can see what 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 what's coming up right and it is a world that um, maximizes our potential as humans. It, it is a world that that really allows us to build tools at a pace that is is ten times twenty times faster than before. Right? You have me writing scripts 
that I would never had written before. Mm. And that enables me in a way that is just like fascinating. Like, like I would have to, to talk to engineers to build me a simple app scripts in Google um, if I had to. And the bandwidth there was very limited. And now I've, I've, I've done many myself. As an example, right? Um, you would have people uh, asking assistance to to transcribe, to rewrite, to proofread, to do things that were um, um, are valuable, right? But um, are much more scalable if it's done at least on an initial pass by a machine. Um, you have um, you have platforms that learn, like that like can actually optimize as we go, right? Uh, and, um, and 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 when you have a platform like Invisible, you start like going back and saying, oh, shoot, we've been doing this this way. Uh, the logic branching um, is, is very difficult um, to be done in a robotic way. And humans make mistakes on those logic branching um, uh, processes all the time. Uh, and uh, AI is good at that. So we're like going back and, and and looking for ways to optimize those processes. And that is a constant um, um, fascination and satisfaction day over day. And, uh, and that goes back to the operations, the in, operations innovation company. And it ties so well with this new book of business, which is how to actually bring AI into a business and help it to do the same thing. And as a part of that, Invisible has been turning that eye that it has on on doing this for other businesses and then turning it around. How like how much of that is because of AI, and how much of that is uh, how much of that is the potential of AI, and how much of is that is the the uh, nature of Invisible itself, and it's and it's not institutional knowledge of uh, um, breaking down operations, breaking down processes. I'd imagine it's the latter, right? It's probably the latter, but then yeah, I think like, I think the latter is 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 predominant and is yeah. it is first. It's part of our core. Um, core business, core offering and, and, and mindset. Um, but the tools that leverage AI have become available um, in, in a, an extremely fast uh, paced manner. Um, and, and the people that we have, um, the majority of the operations team has awareness that those tools can be leveraged relatively quickly. So those are like additional enabling uh, components. Um, and uh, I, I was like, I saw, I saw recently you, you sent a, a custom, um, a custom um, chat, right, for one of your podcasts and the interaction with those uh, was like really fascinating. And I was like, we probably should do the same for lots of knowledge bases that we have internally for interacting with processes, right, that you just have to scroll through uh, dozens of pages and procedures mm. that are very hard to navigate. Uh, so that was an idea right there. And then it was like, we started exploring mm. that. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so that's really interesting about the the documentation piece because I uh, what Sam was referring to for the audience is essentially I, each of these podcasts now I'm 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 training the GPT on the transcript itself and then people can go and and uh, query the conversation because I actually don't like listening to podcasts myself uh, and I I like to read and and this idea that you can just ask an intelligent conversation and so how do you actually bring that into documentation and then I see like. I hope Notion's on this, uh, but uh, like, why not just, it may change the relationship we have with the static documentation versus a whole, it's a whole other UI, which is like, how do you query the exact process that, oh, this, because I, I remember seeing your, instead of the SOP, you develop this chat GPT and the chat GPT in, the, in a conversation, you just have the agent learning this, how do I do this specific step? Um, 
that that's cool. Are you are you are you guys going to do that? Yeah, but look, this, we were exploring it already. Um, uh, but the more the the more the most interesting piece, or one of the most interesting pieces for me right now, is that um, it looks like you can optimize it to uh, not only tell you how to do things, right? So imagine you have like a big documentation, right? It'll not only tell you how to do things because that's that's almost what you can do when you find it, but but also kind of ask if your logic matches what yeah. the procedures call for, right? So imagine that that your procedure is um, um, validating um, um, income for um, a, a potential tenant for uh, a client in the real estate business, right? Uh, and then the procedure is pretty complex on how to evaluate um, the income of this particular person, but then also, uh, not every line item in the bank statement you're looking for counts, right? So there are specifics to that. Um, and then you have to calculate um, if there is anything that um, uh, is in addition to the regular income. And there's like, there's some complexity there that a human um, is prone to to forgetting or, or not, not be able to very quickly and, and straightforwardly um, cross-reference with a procedure. You can input a valid, uh, like it, it and assumptions like say, hey, given these parameters that this particular user has, does this match with the procedures requirements? Uh, and that is very interesting. And if you do that and you do it well, then you're looking into a world where you could potentially also automate these things, right? Mm -hmm. Where you're just like, okay, so you're just plugging in automatically from the app because you've already learned how to actually track that. You're getting an automatic response based on the procedure. And this, I don't know if you want to go deeper into this, but the fascination here as well continues because Clients want a lot of flexibility into the rules of what we're doing, right? Yeah. So when a client changes the procedure, again, the human factor is a limitation because um, you you will have to retrain, you will have to ask people to reread, you'll have to highlight any areas of a process that have been changed and things like that. And the machine is much more uh, capable of making updates on the go. So it's pretty pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty. Because it, it fits with my theory of augmentation and theory of I'm I'm I just talked with Zohar who runs Lightning uh, about uh, uh, a program that I want to develop in in partnership with with Castelio this this online university uh, focused on I think you're gonna enjoy this it's um, uh, first brain second brain third brain are you familiar with a second brain how to build a second brain. Have you heard that terminology before? Um, no, but I'm interested in hearing more. So uh, so Tiago Forte uh, developed uh, sort of a lot of documentations, the personal productivity kind of in the in the realm of getting things done, Tony Robbins, that type of a general area, how to build a second brain. The idea being that writing created an ability to have a second brain, the invention of writing, and we're able to put all of our stuff onto the paper. Uh, and so he created a fake beef online with this other guy uh, and uh, and uh, like had a bunch of controversy between a first brain and a second brain. Uh, I've always been more on the first brain type of thing. I use this thing called spaced repetition memorization, um, uh, which uh, highlights the fact that 90% of what, everything that we're talking about will be gone uh, from our from our memory within four days, unless we have a strategic reminder within three days that brings it back up to mind. 
And so that's the first brain. And you can train your first brain to have very good recall using software on a lot of different facts and such. And software engineers use it. Uh, people who are learning Chinese characters and Japanese characters use it because the amount of characters is insane. Unless you do this, there's no way that you're going to get all the characters in your head. Uh, and then now we've got this third brain, which is what you were talking about with that AI enabled thing where it's like where it can do a lot of those things that the human brain has a, has a challenge. And so I want to teach people how to leverage all three and they're all complementary. Um, and so, but, and it's leading to a theory of hu human augmentation that is how to um, augment the human being rather than replace the human being, which is very consistent with invisible. And how do you augment the human being rather than replace the human being? And it just so happens that it led to invisible becoming this premier AI trainer because of the demands of training these, 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 these large language models. And, um, and so it brings to mind just this like theory of augmentation and in, invisible had a contrarian bet and that contrarian bet turned out to be true. Um, and uh, I'm really curious to hear what you think about human augmentation and given like uh, uh, and where we're headed and and also whether you have any fear of AI um, or like are you it, it sounds like you're not you're not uh, too too scared of it but uh, I would love to talk about those those things. Yeah, yeah, I, I I love thinking about what's happening in in kind of the context of the industrial revolution, mm -hmm. right? Um, if you go back to that that era, and and you were working in the fields uh, uh, with manual tools, and you and you, and you had a vision of machines doing the work that you that you were doing manually, you were yeah, like, interesting. I'm without a job, like I'm completely doomed, right? Um, but if you had um, a mindset, that's the mindset like you, like I really like what you said, it's like teaching people to think that if you have that mindset, you're like, well, if that can do that, then I can just do do more, more productive things, right? And the reality is that the world has become more and more and more productive, the more and more automation that we have, and the more and more augmentation that we have. Um, and if anything, we need more people. And if anything, we need more jobs. And if anything, we need more and more um um of of what we think is 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 productive today um being taken by um, automations and machines um so that i am i am i am seeing that and um and i really like um a phrase that i read one time saying it's like it's not like ai is going to take our jobs now ai will take the jobs of those that don't know how to use it or how to leverage it right so like the mindset becomes like okay so how can i leverage it how can i use it um, and everybody has an opportunity to um, continue to enable themselves using that technology. And, and AI is not like only like, wow, this after contact AI. AI is also like related to the tools that we're using in a day-to-day -day basis that have become more efficient. They will become more efficient. Um, so there are like different, different areas where we become more efficient and more effective at. Uh, in terms of like AI in general, I'm not scared at all. <laughs> I think I think um, um, that um, if we continue going the way that we're that we're going, um, it will self-correct and will self-govern in in a certain way, and there will be um, um, uh, interests that put humans first always um, that will be predominant. Um, and if we have situations where we need to fight against it in, in one way or the other, we, we will continue to conquer and win. Yeah. Uh, and from my understanding, like the, the core existential risk comes from the idea or the, the core theory of existential risk comes from this idea 
that once we give it its own goals, that its own goals will then go out of the, you know, will be misaligned with our goals. Um, and so far, I haven't seen, I don't get a hint of sentience. I don't get a hint of like this, that this thing is real. Uh, most of what I get is that this thing does the boring jobs better. Every programmer that I talk to is like, I love this thing because I get to, it, it does all of this stuff that I don't like doing that I used to do in order to get to the good flow state. And now I just go into the flow state all the time when I'm, when I'm programming and it doesn't feel like it has a mind of its own, but that, that, uh, that might change. So the core existential AI uh, uh, fear is that these things will start to have a goal of their own and that they'll go crazy and like our, our goals won't be aligned with their goals. Uh, but so far, I haven't really seen any sense that this thing is sentient and it really just takes the boring jobs. And like every time that I talk to a programmer, the programmer is like, oh, I love this thing. It takes all the stuff that I used to have to do to get to the flow state. And now it just goes to the flow state immediately. And and actually, it's it, I'd be curious to hear, this may be a little bit of a tangent. I'd be curious to hear from your perspective. I know you said you're getting it to write your scripts. I just came up with the idea today. I'm, I'm realizing that uh, programming itself may be much simpler. And I got ChatGPT to give me the 30-day program uh, where of how to leverage it to every day do one simple program that teaches me the concept behind programming so that I can build up the, the ability to architect a software thing with all the complexity and then just have ChatGPT do all that stuff, basically. Have you, I know I saw a few months ago, you were doing some sort of stuff as well, and I know you're doing script. Can you talk more about what you're doing in terms of that that pro programming and such? Yeah, so uh, I haven't had the time to, and and I will, probably in the, in the near future too, um, to build for myself a program where I can like say, okay, so I've, I've always wanted to have um, functional knowledge in programming, right? And for one reason or the other, that just has been a reality. But now it's like, okay, I like this. I think this is a great, great tool. And I think I want to go deeper on that. Uh, but what I have done is, is leverage it for the day-to-day -day work that I do. Um, and many times in many occasions, um, I need um, I need leverage to execute things that we need to to do our day to day work right. So um, I've used it to like like I mentioned to build a script, um, reason example for example. Um, um, we had this we had this this client or, or this project that um, needed to to build this program that would read Google Calendar and put it in a format that is ready to share and printable for oh. uh, for a sort of um, uh, agenda kind of in-person meeting uh, situation, right? So this, this person had um, a bunch of, of this calendar very well organized. And the idea was like, can we build a system that automatically creates a PDF that I can print or send to the participants um, and I need to do that on, on a recurrent basis. So it's very straightforward. Um, and we built it ourselves. Like we literally went in, read the documentation, uh, wrote the script, uh, made the formatting uh, and shipped it in what, like two hours, three hours. And then um, you said you said yourself, uh, but you sounded like you had a team of people thinking about this or? Um, yeah, it was a few of us, um, but it was mostly me, right? It was more like, I took kind of like, I took it like a side project. Again, like I mentioned, like many times those would have been things that we have um, the tech team scope or the engineering team uh, put in a roadmap and kind of take more time. So I was like, can we do this? And sometimes you ask a question to, well, 
just just to add to, to say one chat yeah. GPT and you're like, can you do this? And it is so frequent where you get like, yes, you can. And you're like, oh, wow, really? Can you do this? And if you Google it or if you research online, it's so difficult to find the answer because it's probably hidden into documentation and it is just like not straightforward. It's like, yes, you can. And then you try those steps and you could come in and find that maybe those steps are already outdated and you tell it like, hey, this doesn't work. And it's like, oh, there's a new update to the app. Here are the new steps. It is so helpful and so straightforward. Um, and, um, and we, I think we've talked a lot about like the front end. We also have use cases where we actually use the API. Want to give me one, want to give you one. Like we had this client, um, and, um, or this project uh, was focused on extracting, um, tags for product descriptions. So imagine you have, um, shampoo, right. And you have like a long string of text that you find in a website that describes what the shampoo was and you needed to extract those tags so you could put it in an organized data set. Uh, and that would take a long time to do manually. Again, human factors, just like reading ounces, how many ounces reading this, it was like a very, very long process. And we designed a process that would call, um, um, uh, a model, a large language model using an API and we plug in the parameters and the prompts and it will kick back those um, mm. those formatted tags. And not only did it do that, um, now, I, know, I don't know if you know, we also have uh, the ability to web search, right? So it could also go in online and find it for any additional information. So very, very powerful. And, uh, and when you start working with those small projects, you start getting like your eyes opened, like, oh, this is something that can really work on like really, really complex things. And, and you can continue enabling yourself. Well, let's talk about that. Is Invisible thinking about, so what you just described is that you essentially have become semi-technical through this process and uh, that the the learning curve, which I know that I've experienced a lot. Uh, and so we have a tech team who can do all these things, but instead of taking their time away, the first, first thing is go to ChatGPT. And as the, all these other LLMs come in, we'll have a bunch of different options with like fine-tuned data sets and domain-specific knowledge and such. Um, is Invisible thinking about training uh, the non-technical people how to do what you just talked about? Because really it comes down to will. It comes down to you have the will and the curiosity to to like go ping chat GPT to come through it and get through all yeah. the frustration. That feels teachable to me. Uh, it feels really teachable where it's like, the 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 you just like, there's a, there's a sort of barrier that most people have. It's like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Uh, and there's some complexity there and, and thinking about the, the doing those things and everything like that. What do you think about teaching some of the non-technical people to become sort of semi-technical at Invisible? Two things on that. First, when you mentioned the tech team, same with the industrial revolution example, like now the tech team is like focused on higher things. Like yeah. why would you yeah. give them a script they write in 25 minutes? No, they're like, so they're enabled themselves. Second thing on learning and teaching, you can see the eyes of people light and sparkle when you show them how to use these tools. And that is fascinating when you're like, hey, you know what? I love doing this. Like, let me share my screen. Let me show you how I do this. Yeah, yeah. It could be something as simple as a sheets formula. Uh, that sometimes, again, it is so difficult to find online, um, not only like the specific formula or the specific function, but also how to integrate it with what you're trying to do with your data set. Right? Mm -hmm. So something simple as that, you show it to someone, hey, Stuart, look how, look how I did this. And you're like, wow, you're opening this person's mind into something that is infinite, right? 
Uh, and then tomorrow you record a video and you send it to your teams and, and how you did that. Uh, we have a Slack channel uh, where we have um, not very organized, um, in a not, not very organized way, uh, have been popping in some uh, videos that we've recorded ourselves with interaction with the models. Um, and our training team in Invisible as well has started to develop more formal training programs that I expect would just like continue to level us up. Mm. Um, I think, like you mentioned, it probably will come down to the individual's interest, right? But I think that the pressure of actually getting into this new mindset will, will continue to rise and people will continue to see the need. Like I remember when I was a kid, people would say, learn English, come from Latin America. Uh, and people would be like, you have to learn English because that's language of the future. And people would be addicted. You need, to, you need to do that. Like right now, it's like, you need to do this. Like this is the language of the future. This is what you have to learn. Uh, and whereas before you probably wanted your kids to be programmers or engineers and 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 and, and have like a better chance at ha having like that market, then maybe the focus now becomes like how to become good at enabling yourselves with these tools or building teams around these tools. Mm, okay, yeah, let's let's take that go into that for the last five five to seven minutes, which is uh, essentially we've been talking about individual augmentation and individual kind of will and curiosity and stuff. Let's talk about it from the team angle. Uh, what are kind of the three most important or you know most important lessons that you've learned about working with a team of people like Invisible who are sort of contrarian but really focused and 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 um, what what have you learned about embedding inside of a team? Yeah, so I think I think one important thing, and it's just like probably moving a little bit more like from the front end of AI and more into more of what we do. Uh, for training these models. I think one thing that I've learned that has become clear and and it's it's just something that continues to develop is that every every individual has a mindset and has a way of thinking and processing things that is very valuable in itself. Sometimes the tendency when you have teams is to try to um, force and mold a specific mm -hmm. mindset, a specific way of doing things on everyone. Uh, but the most valuable thing is probably to, to give a direction on how to do things and how to actually uh, execute in a way that um, attains the goals of the project, but also allow this individual creativity and this individual's um, colors to shine through their work, right? And I think that is something that as a manager, as a director, um, is is not straightforward to do and natural at times and needs to be conscious and needs to be developed. Um, so this is important because again, these models learn from different points of views yeah, and different yeah. ways of processing, right? If you if you plug it in machine-like um, uh, data, um, they're not going to be able to interact with the humans, right? Sometimes we literally think about how someone will interact with a model from their cell phone in the street, right? Writing down, they're not gonna think about a specific way of writing things. They wanna be able to say something and you need to understand it. That's one thing. I think a second thing is also probably related to um, enabling our teams to um, to shine and do what they they feel is best and they are more productive at. Um, so you have people 
um, that are interested in a specific field or interested in developing in some specific area and holding them back is, is not beneficial for anyone. So giving them the opportunity, giving them the framework, giving them even an outlook of what could come down in the future that's not maybe available right now, but could come down in the future enables the team and keeps the team going in the same direction, which is very important. Mm. Uh, the third piece would probably be around um, our flexibility in learning in general. So, so as you mentioned, like this is happening so quickly and you join calls and you interact with clients and interact with uh, trainers and interact with QAs and different teams. And you have to constantly learn new things. And if you, if you think that you can bring a framework from the past and just like reutilize it you know, day over day, it's going to create a lot of uh, friction. Um, so that constant learning um, loop is very real. And I, I know this sounds like, yeah, well, that's that's something you need to have in every, in, every, in every situation. And that's true, but especially true now, right? In my example, I joined the AI space like a few months ago. And I remember just like realizing that I didn't know anything about the specifics, right? Like the idea and all that. Yeah, but the specifics of how to execute those things and the easy path would have been, okay, I'll just direct a team, I'll just manage the team and they, they will learn it. But I was like very interested in knowing how to do it myself, how to really get to those small pieces uh, that are later going to become key components of our quality, key components of our, of our differentiation within others. Uh, and learning was like having that, um, that hunger to learn was very important and very critical. Uh, and I wish we had more time because that sounds really interesting. There's a lot of implicit knowledge that it sounds like you have for, about those AI models and and how to give quality. I guess, yeah, what last couple of minutes, like what is the number one thing you can say about making sure that the output of these models is is high quality based on the training? Um, yes, I, I think I think one kind of um, um, framework that I have is, um, ensuring that our teams understand why we're doing what we're doing, right? So you could have, for example, an instruction that says, um, I'm mm. just going to make something yeah. right now. Yeah. It's like, you should capitalize every every word uh, in, in, in this type of answer. I don't know, I'm just making something up to so just be very, very, very clear on the example. Like, you have to explain why. It's like, you have to ensure that the person in the other end understands why that helps the model is like, oh, you have to capitalize every 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 word in this particular setting because this is teaching the model how to uh, um, uh, execute on book titles, for example, that should always be capitalized. I don't know, just making a crazy example. Um, so I think that was very, very important because um, some of the initial friction points that we had with training our teams was like, they were being very mechanical and they were like, okay, yeah, so what? Yeah, no, we have to, we have to, help them understand and then you will start getting so great and so good questions back from the teams like hey what do we do in this situation because the direction is abc but this doesn't make sense for this particular situation and then we ask those questions to the client and then like we mentioned at the beginning yeah. it's a partnership piece right here comes like invisible is not only executing blindly invisible is giving us key insights that will help us improve our models beyond our original instruction set. That's so cool. Okay, well, we'll do another one on that because that feels like an hour at some point. Because <laughs> we'll, 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 the, the implicit knowledge, I was just I interviewed Cameron a couple of days ago, and there's so much interesting implicit 
information. And now with this process that I built for getting, putting this through all chat GPT and like we can just build documentation out of it. So it'd be very, very cool to do that. Thank you for, so much for coming on the show. Uh, how can anybody, any of our listeners find out what you're working on or get in touch with you? If you are an invisible, you can find me on Slack. I'd be delighted to see a DM from you or a tag. Um, externally, you can send me an email, Sam at invisible.email. Um, I'd be very happy to, to interact with anyone around and, 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 and connect. Thank you so much. Thank you, Stuart. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Plain Sight, presented by Invisible. If you liked what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button and consider sharing with your network. And if you're interested in learning more about how Invisible helps teams cut costs and scale, visit our website at invisible.co. See you next time.